Well, good morning. It's good to see you all today. Hey, uh, I want to ask for some prayers this morning. Well, first of, all, first of all, I should say this. Thank you for wearing, getting the memo and everybody wearing your all-in t-shirts. And uh, I've been getting messages on Facebook about thank you for uh, picking out everybody's clothing for the next three, four weeks. So uh, you can wear it beyond that if you want. But uh, everybody's been jumping on the bandwagon of buying an all-in t-shirt because we're trying to do two things with these t-shirts. One, it's a declaration that we're all in for what God wants to do in us and through us through this church. But we're also all in for what God's trying to do in Urbana. And uh, I don't know if you know this right now, but uh, last week we talked about this. Urbana has had a great beginning. And uh, both of our locations have had some great, great growth this year. But specifically, Urbana is our newest location. And because of that, we wanted to sell these T-shirts. And a portion of the T-shirt uh, sales actually goes to Urbana so they can start planning and preparing for what's next. Now, you can, you can decide to give more than the $10 to the T-shirt, and all proceeds go to help Urbana in their expansion. But um, uh, if, if Facebook is true, which it isn't usually, but it may be in this case because it's a picture, it looks like Urbana had every seat full during first service this morning. And uh, that's, that's what we've been praying for, yeah. Yeah, I, I think God's, God's up to something there. So can we pray for them this morning, and can we just continue uh, this series a little bit? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for giving us a vision to become a multi-site church. It has not been without some cost or some challenges or some blood, sweat, and tears. But God, we celebrate as a, a new location that's not even a year old is uh, looking at breaking the ceiling of 300 and going beyond that. And God, now we're seeking, asking questions like, God, do we go to another service? Do we need to do some expansion? Do we need to put offices over there? And God, all of that is in your hands. And God, we you, we know that you own cattle on a thousand hills, and we know that you can provide for us. But God, beyond the resources, God, we pray that you move people, that you continue to move us here in Champaign. You continue to stir up our church between the two locations, that we would not think of ourselves, but we would think of those who have not been connected, and that we would be willing to lay down our, our personal preferences or our desires, that we might be uh, servant-oriented, sacrificial people who live like Jesus, reaching the one who's so far off, being the one who steps out when everybody else steps back. God, encourage us, inspire us, shape us, mold us, conform us to your likeness. And in all things, God, may we be in step with your spirit, not too far ahead and not too far behind, just in rhythm with you. God, we love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I've already said last week, I love this time of year. Uh, a, lot, a lot because of the sports that are going on. And what I love about the football season specifically is the power of a huddle. Now, I know you can play other sports, uh, whether it be, um, you know, volleyball or, or maybe soccer or baseball or whatever it may be. And there's a huddle. But I think specifically in my experience uh, playing football, there's nothing more powerful than circling up as a group of peers, being able to look into their eyes and to really recognize who's all in. Maybe who's not, right? And when you get that moment that everybody's all in and they look at each other, they're on the same mission, the same goal, the same direction, you just begin to get inspired. And no matter what comes in your direction, you literally begin to believe that who we are together is greater than who we would be on our own. And the task gets smaller. The obstacles get easier. We begin to find ways that we can actually win it and go on. And that's what's been happening a little bit within our church. It's been so encouraging to be in this season with us. But one of the things I've learned a lot about the huddle is that we all need one. I don't know if you've noticed, but life is 
difficult. You notice that? Ever gone through a hardship that you knew you couldn't make it on your own? Maybe it's the time your marriage hit the fan. Maybe it's the time you got laid off from work. Maybe it's the call of somebody got cancer in your family. It could be numerous things. But we all need a huddle, don't we? This last week, I had the privilege to uh, hang out with uh, four of my other friends. Maybe you saw the picture on Facebook. There was about five of us pastors together, and you probably thought what most people thought. That can't be pastors. But they are. They are all pastors of a similar background, similar uh, churches, similar situations. And we we're all at this, uh, at this lake house just taking some time to pour into one another. And it was pretty encouraging because as soon as I walk in and, and close the door, you know, there's the hooping and hollering, the high fives, the hugs, whatever. And then we sit down and the conversation instantly becomes personal. It's no barbs, no jabs, no superficial stuff. It was just real. And I love that because when the huddle comes together, it is about real life. And we took this moment just to, to talk about where our marriages are, where our churches are, where our health is, where, who we need to be as servants and leaders. And it was encouraging. It was challenging. It was confronting. But there are a group of men in my life who go, you know what? God has called us to do what we do, to be who we are, and it is crucial for us to be the best servants, the best shepherds, the best leaders, the best husbands, the best fathers that we can be. And that huddle was so powerful. I'm encouraged. Can you tell I'm encouraged? I'm a little fired up today, right? The truth of the matter is we all need a huddle. And everybody seems to go through life real well until, you know, we just get smacked in the face. And we have to figure out how to make it. And if we do it on our own, we find ourselves exhausted and worn out. We find ourselves frustrated and bitter. We find ourselves critical and angry. We spend more time complaining about people around us than embracing the people around us. Last week, we talked about what it means to be all in, and it was a real encouragement for us, but it was a challenge for all of us to be all in, uh, not just with our relationship with God, but with our local church here. That we would try and connect four, that we would come every week to take another step, to see about growing, to, to, to challenging ourselves to go beyond where we have been. And we made this statement. When we are all in, we will do whatever it takes. We talked about that, about being on the, on the Jesus mission specifically. But when we're all in, we will do whatever it takes. We're, we're not people who are prone to push away. We're not prone to, to overlook things. We will actually jump in and step up when other people want to step back. We will find a way to bring the huddle together. Now, what happened in last week, we were looking at Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, God's spirit begins to move on some leaders, some people, some servants. And they begin to share this message of God. And as they begin to share it, it grows. Matter of fact, it explodes, and thousands of people literally begin to join the church. What we find in this is in their gathering, there was, there was thousands of people, and we begin to learn something as we read through the passage. We begin to see things like they, they continue to gather together in the marketplace and, and in their homes, and they continue to gather together on a regular basis. Matter of fact, when you go through the book of Acts, you see the early church regularly connecting outside of the large gathering. And it teaches us this one truth, that as a church grows larger, it must become smaller. As a church gets larger, it must become smaller. It must be intentional about its relationships. And we've seen that happen here at First Christian Church, right? 
We've had significant growth over the years in different ways at different times. And oftentimes when growth happens, you'll start hearing the murmuring in the hallway. I just don't know everybody anymore. I just, I just don't know everything that's going on. And what you realize is people have gotten disconnected. They're not engaged. They're not a part of maybe what's going on. And for us, groups is one of those ways that we provide a huddle, that we connect with others. And we provide this care for each other. We pray for one another. We share what's going on in our lives because we're concerned about how God is growing each and every one of us. The early church didn't just simply gather. They began to grow. They began to grow within groups. And they had intentional relationships not only with God, but with each other. Anonymity was not their friend. They were integrated, connected, involved with each other's lives. And what we begin to realize is that in these groups, here's the next truth, is that transformational growth happens best in the context of a group. Transformational growth happens best in the context of a group. Last week we talked about we don't want to just model or or, or just kind of mimic what God is doing in our lives. We want to be the kind of people that are transformed by God. And we want to be a church that's transformed by God so that ultimately as a church we can transform the world that we're a part of. And when we begin to realize that, we realize it's not by our own might or our own strength, but it's a movement of God that happens through all of us coming together, being all in on the mission of Jesus. Well, the pattern of the early church, the father followers continually gathered together for the apostles' teaching, for prayer. But they also gathered together in each other's homes. They began to pour their lives into each other. And one of the things we realize is that oftentimes the way we learn is in rows, but the way we grow is in circles. Or I'd say it this way, while we learn in rows, we grow in circles. Do you know what I'm saying? We gather together on a Sunday morning and we may teach, and in rows there's a lot that we learn. There's a lot of information that gets exchanged. There's a lot of vision that gets cast. But it's in rows It's in rows where we learn, but it's in in circles where we grow. So let me just say it to you this way. Oftentimes people are afraid to jump into a group. They're afraid to be connected. But the reality is for all of us, whatever we learn of God only goes as far as we're willing to apply, right? And when you get in your group, your huddle, you get face-to-face with people. You look in their eyes and you see whether they're all in or not, right? Because let's be honest, sometimes there are people that just are trying to fake it till they make it. And they need a group that's going to come along and is going to pick them up and going to carry them through a hard time. There are others of us who are, are on fire and are committed to what God may be doing in their life. And we need some people that we can invest some of that fire into. We can encourage and walk with. There's some of us that have gone through maybe an incredibly difficult time and we're exhausted and we need somebody else's shoulder to lean on. But groups aren't so much about, you know, trying to learn a bunch of stuff. I mean, what we often think about groups is that everybody needs more information. But what we need are people to model Jesus. We need people who will be the reality of Jesus in their peer group, in their friend group, in, their, in the group that they're a part of. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to look at another narrative, a portion of Scripture, where there's commentary of what has just happened in the early life of the church. Now, two men, two unschooled ordinary men, have been out sharing the message of Jesus Christ. They've been healing and helping others. And uh, they get arrested. 
They get thrown into jail. Uh, they get uh, reamed out. They get punished. And then eventually they get let go because what's happening in the community is that this murmuring of what God's doing in their midst, how God is changing people's lives, is catching fire. And so they can't really keep them locked down. And so they let them go. And Peter and John go back to their group. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, collectively, they're doing this. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you appointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What a challenge. Stretch out your hand to heal, to perform signs and wonders through your name, your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the whole place where they, the place where they were moving, uh, were, were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I love this passage. I love this passage. Two average Joes are living out their faith. They're, they're healing people. They're sharing the love of God. And they get the no-no from the popo, right? They get arrested. They get thrown in the slammer. They're in lockdown. Uh, they get reprimanded. They go through this whole process. And most times when Christ followers hit a wall, when they hit an obstacle, when they go up against something they don't like or something isn't the way they want, what most Christ followers do, I'll just admit this, is we shut down, right? We shut down or we find a sidestep, right? Cut a person out of our life. We uh, quit going and being a part of that. We make it easier for ourselves because it's just too difficult. But the early church, when they faced opposition, instead of stepping back and away, they stepped up. They stepped in. Now, this is counterintuitive to us, but maybe it's a good way to illustrate it. Anytime, if you're in a plane that's losing altitude, and I pray that you're not, the answer is not pulling backwards, hoping that you climb more. The answer is lean forward. Gain more momentum. It's counterintuitive. It's, some of you, your stomachs are upset right now going, oh, I'm never going to fly again. There's no way that's going to happen to me, right? The same thing is true with your faith. When you hit opposition, if, if God tells you to slow down or back up, listen to it. But if not, if it's a go, people, we got to learn to lean in. And the only way we do that is with a boldness and a confidence that God is at work in our world and through his people. And so let me talk to you a little bit about community. Let me talk to you about why we all need a group. Let me tell you about the power of a huddle and what can happen when people who belong to Jesus decide to go in. Here's what happens. There are three steps that happen in community. And the first one is this. This is speaking of, uh, of Peter and John in their community, but they went to their people to share about their life. The first thing Peter and John do is they don't pick up the phone and call mom, right? They don't run to just their friends. They go back to people who believe what they believe, live what they live, right? 
And I love how this is translated. They went back to their peeps, right? That's what it says. They went back to their people. And this is not a statement of nationality. This is not a statement of ethnicity. This is not some socioeconomic conversation. This is the reality that their identity, who they were, who they are, and how their lives were changed were because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And when something hits their life, the first people they went to were each other. And you know what? Peter and John found them gathered together. They knew where they'd be. I mean, I don't know if it was like, like, like my group meets on Sunday night. We don't know if like they got released on Sunday afternoon. And they're like, oh, I bet they're going to watch the game and then they're going to be hanging out with their community group, right? I mean, the scripture doesn't say that. It just says they went to find their peeps and they were where we thought they would be. Isn't that encouraging? That there are patterns and disciplines. There, we know that at a moment's notice, there are people that we need in our lives that we can lean into. And if I was to be real transparent, that doesn't happen in the church very often anymore. I mean, sometimes I hear Christ followers that would rather be insulated and isolated than to be integrated with other people. They want their distance. Somebody offends them. They don't like how this person is. They don't like that. And so what they do is they create this perfect bubble where their world is about them. But can I tell you, it's when we get in with people that may be different than us, may not agree with us, may not even have our personality, and we say, you know what? Because of our relationship with Christ and because of how God has changed us, we're in this together. We're in this together. I mean, guys, I've never been on a team where the teammates get to choose the players, right? Right? Now, some of you may go, well, we might do a lot better if that happened, okay? But just for, just for illustration's sake, think about this. Some of the best teams that come together are not good friends, but they rally around a mission. They make each other better. They strengthen each other. They challenge each other. And so when things get tough, when things get rough, they begin to share their struggles, their joys, their celebrations, their pains. This is where they would go. They knew that if they were going to find relief, if they were going to find encouragement, if they were going to find strength, if they were going to find support, the local church is the best place to find that. And so what they begin to realize is that when they go there, God's there. God's there. Second of all, uh, they went to their people. They went to their people to share in the power of prayer. To share in the power of prayer. Now, I love this. As soon as they share their story, you know what everybody's natural response is? We should pray about this. Now, put the lesson off to the side, guys. Uh, we don't need to talk about the party that's coming up. Guys, we, we need to pray about this. And you know what their prayer is, first and foremost? God, you're sovereign. That's a way of saying, hey, you know what's come our way? God, we just want to remind you what you already know, that you're in charge, you're in control, and we're here to do what you want. It's not about me. It's not about what I want or what I like. It's about what you want, God. And so collectively, they turn and they say, Sovereign God, you're the one who created the heavens and the earth. You're the one who give us life. We know that you are the source of our life, and we find it here. And then they reference this passage that's out of Psalms about how the nations wage or rage and, and how they get all hostile and upset. I love that word rage, why the nations rage against. The idea of that word rage is the same word that would be used to describe a disgruntled horse. You know what I'm saying? 
A horse that flails its head, its hair goes everywhere, it snorts, it stomps, it's disgruntled. So it's like, it's like they're saying, hey, God, we know who you are, and we know in your control, and we wonder why. Why does the world beat its chest and act like it's going to win the day? Why does the world stand up and rage and shout and scream? Whatever it is, God, we've seen them plan. We've seen them conspire. But, God, we are here in our huddle. Just call the play. There's boldness that begins to come out of that. There's confidence that begins to come out of a walk. When we begin to realize that God is in control, that our group is the place by which we will be mobilized and strengthened, we will be inspired and encouraged. The third thing they do is they went to their people to share in the mission of Jesus. They went to their people to share in the mission of Jesus. I want you to be encouraged to find a group to to be able to share your life and what's going on. I want you to be in a group so that you can be able to pray. But we cannot forget one of the reasons that we gather and one of the reasons that we group is because ultimately every one of us as Christ followers are intended to be sent, right? But the same boldness, the same passion, the same energy that we would have here would only be amplified out there. That as each each and every one of us, all in on a relationship with God, we would have a boldness about what God could do, what God has done in our lives, and how God is working in the world that we're a part of. And I love this phrase that they get said, right? The phrase that gets said is, they were filled with this, they're filled with the Spirit and boldly spoke the word of God. They boldly spoke about Jesus. They boldly spoke about how God was at work and what they were a part of. Peter and John were obedient to God, and the result was, in their arrested life, in their struggle, in their journey, it only made them more bold. They knew that if there was opposition, then God may be leading them somewhere. God may be doing something. The difference is about ready to be seized. If there's one thing that we would pray for our church, it would be boldness. We live in an era and a day when everybody else is stomping their feet and snorting their nostrils. And everybody else is living a life of rage and discontentment. But we have a message of love and justice and mercy and hope. So our prayer would be that we would, we would be the kind of people that would boldly pray for one another. The kind of people that would boldly ask God to move in us. The kind of people that would boldly seek out obedience from God's word. To be the people who boldly prioritize this body's, their time, their talents, and their treasure. To be a people who boldly believe and trust and step forward in faith instead of backwards in fear. To be people who boldly gather together, both in large groups, but in smaller ones. Trusting that we are growing together in our relationship with God and with each other. The other church, when they gathered, they gathered in groups because of what Jesus did and would do in their lives. They did it because of what Jesus did and what Jesus would do in their own lives. Coming together, seeking God, it grows our character. Not simply just to learn a good moral lesson, but how, how we're going to live out in real time this faith, this challenge, this, the, the mission that God has put in front of us. How do we learn to love unlovable people? 
How do we learn to be friendly to unfriendly people? How do we learn to endure persecution or struggle? How do we begin to stand up when everyone else wants to push us down? We do that when we're in a group. Because God's will, God's word, and God's people is what ultimately helps nourish us together. Recently, I, I put a put a picture on social media of a sunflower growing up in the crack of a sidewalk, okay? Now, that's not healthy for the sidewalk, okay? Eventually, roots and plants growing in there will deteriorate the concrete, and it will break up. But the truth of the matter is, if a seed is planted with enough water and enough sunlight, it'll grow basically wherever it's thrown. Now, it may not last long, but it'll grow there. So let's say you have a plant, Right? Let's say you have a plant and you take it home or somebody gives it to you as a housewarming gift. I'll just tell you this. If you ever want to get me a gift, never get me a plant, okay? They, they die. Even if you buy me a cactus, it'll die eventually. Uh, they just, I'm not good with them. But a plant will grow wherever it's planted to a point. But then based on the amount of sun, the amount of water, the amount of nourishment, the amount of space that it has, determines how much that plant will grow. And I think many of us, in some ways, are like this plant. The seed was planted. A sprout has come up. We have a few leaves. Now we're done. Right? That's not what God's intended for us. As a matter of fact, when you begin to put other plants together, you begin to create a garden. And so when you put other Christ followers together, you begin to create a garden, a utopia of people who are saying, I have surrendered my life to Christ and my growth is not about myself, but we together are growing into who God has called us to be. So let me ask you a question. Are we, are we all in for growth at first? This may seem like an odd question. Many of you would say, well, I'm here, right? I'm here. Are we all in for growth at first? Meaning, have we done more than planted a seed in a plot and watched it sprout? Are we nurturing? Are we growing? Are we becoming more in our faith, whether it's been one day, one year, 10 years? Are we continuing to mature or have we just kind of plateaued out? Let me challenge you in a couple ways that I think we need to all continue growing in the local church. And I want to share a little bit about what we're trying to communicate about how we will help grow each other as a church. First and foremost, we need to engage in growth practices within the local church. We need to engage in growth practices within the local church. The way we describe that is through what we call the four G's, that we would gather, grow, give, and go. You can see it on this diagram. The idea is specifically there are four practices that you see regularly within the early church, that they gathered regularly for worship. That's where maybe they learned. They, they uh, grew within groups. That's where they grew with each other. Uh, they uh, give of themselves, their time, talent, and treasure. And then they would go and be the, be the presence of God wherever they live, work, and play, making a significant difference for God. And the reality is most of us gather. Uh, some of us group and some of us give. But all of us go. But our ability to go boldly into this world really is significantly found in our ability to grow with other Christ followers and other people and give and serve of ourselves with other Christ followers and other people. 
I also want to challenge us all to take next steps. Oftentimes we can describe the people that are a part of a local church in generality in these three ways. Some of us are interested. Once we're interested, we begin to grow and become involved. And then once we get involved, we become invested. At each step, we're taking on more ownership, more maturity. We're growing. We're becoming more engaged with the local church. And so many of you may say, I, 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 I think I'm interested here. I, I'm involved in the sense that I'm present. Am, am I really invested? Am I being a part of the difference here at the local church? Am I being a part of the four practices and watching my church grow as I'm growing with it and helping others grow as well? The tool we've kind of built to kind of talk about next steps, though, for our church is what we call the nine. Now, the nine is something new that maybe you haven't heard from us, but it's really kind of a graph of next steps. Now, they're not necessarily in any order, but we would say the columns kind of represent uh, someone who might be interested, somebody who might be involved, and somebody who would be invested. Now, some of us jump into the local church at different points, right? We get involved in different ways. Some of us uh, like, like to start out, some of us got connected to the church through a small group before they were ever part of a local gathering service, right? Some of us got connected to the large worship service. Some of us have been isolated in our faith, and in all honesty, we've been doing our devotions, but maybe we haven't been connected with the body. But what we want to do as leaders, as volunteers and servants here at the church, is challenge everybody in these next steps. It's not, a, it's not like a game of bingo. It's not like when you get all nine, you get a, a new T-shirt or anything like that. But the truth of the matter is that we need to find ways to help challenge and grow each other. Now, things up here like uh, specifically prayer or fasting, you'd say, well, why didn't that make the nine? Well, the reality is because we teach those within some of those next steps, within some of those opportunities to grow your faith. But one, one that I really want you to notice is this. It's the bottom right. It's multiply. Some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples were this, to go and make disciples of all nations. And you know what I often find in the American church? Is that we show up for a worship service or maybe we hang out in a group. We maybe even invest ourselves in administering and serving within a team. You know, we might know how to do our daily devotions. We might even give our money. But very few of us know how to multiply what God has done within us. How did we get 2,000 years down the road of people falling in love with Jesus and disciples don't know how to make disciples? I think it's because we've let our value of multiplication, of discipleship, of having our faith go beyond ourselves, be lived out in the world that we're a part of. Which tells me that really, ultimately, the, the churches that we're often a part of are about what we can gain and what we can get and what we can have, not like Jesus, who Jesus says, here's all of me. Here's all I am. I serve you. And we miss the boat. The four practices, when they're lived out, and the nine uh, next steps, the nine marks that we talk about, when they're put together, they look like this is a resource. And so you're going to hear a lot about this in your groups. You're going to hear a lot about this uh, in your ministry teams. You're going to hear about people that we're apprenticing and raising up to be the next leaders because as a church, not only do we want to get together as a group as have a huddle, but we want to continue this process. We want to see this church grow and flourish in ways that it's never flourished before. The last step we want to encourage is to join a group. 
Now, Daniel's already talked about this. He's made it real simple. He said, if you go to the website, fcc-online.org, uh, and scroll down, you can sign up for GroupLink. And GroupLink is a great opportunity. On September 12th at 6.30 p.m., we're going to get together, and we're going to connect a lot of people to groups. And I want to encourage you to do that. But even if you don't want to get online, you can grab your connection card, and even today, you can write on the back, mark that you want to be a part of a group. So why should I be a part of a group here at first? Let me give you three reasons real quickly. First and foremost, we believe that God created community that we might grow together. Friends, anonymity is the enemy. And the more we isolate ourselves, the more we try to stay anonymous, the more likely we are to not grow in our faith than we are to grow in our faith. It's when we rub shoulders with others when their inconvenient life inconveniences ours, that we get stretched and matured and get a chance to apply the very things that we may have learned or understand about Jesus. Second of all, growth in a group will build your faith. Nothing's been more encouraging to me than to be in a journey with people where we ask God to move or ask God to do something and see God answer that. God doesn't always answer every prayer request the way we want, but we have seen fingerprints of God and how God has helped shape, change, transform, even help marriages when they're up against the rocks. We've seen it time and time again for God doing even more than we could ever ask or imagine. But last of all, growth within your character will impact the world around us. Growth within your character will impact the world around us. I love it that our faith shouldn't stop with us. I love it that God gives us a group that we can connect with, that we can find encouragement, we can be challenged in our faith and we can grow. But I don't know if you're like me, but I look at this world and I wish the world would change. The world needs more hope. The world needs more compassion. The world needs more mercy and justice. And the best way for the world to be transformed through grace and mercy and love and justice is for God's people to be those people for our groups to live out and walk in a pattern like Jesus. And so maybe today you're here and maybe you, maybe you fell off the wagon. And what you're doing is you're trying to do everything you can to keep your faith going, but you're isolating yourself. Let me encourage you, find a group, get connected. Maybe you've been excited about your faith, but you're not putting it to use anywhere. Can I encourage you, find a group. If you've got momentum, if you've got energy, help be a shoulder that can carry somebody else. Help live out a life of graciousness and understanding. Help extend yourself while you're full on God when others of us may be empty because of the world around us. Maybe you're just not at a place where you've connected and you're waiting for somebody else to come and ask you, can I encourage you? Don't wait for somebody else. Step up and step in. We're going to move to a time of response. When we started this conversation, we started it with about how, how hard life can be. And we were talking about just simply how it's only when we have a group that we can really endure some of the hardships that we're a part of. We can overcome some of the obstacles that come our way. But one of the things that really really scares me is about how, how sometimes we've gotten in groups 
and we've gotten very comfortable. Last week, I talked about two dangers in the church, right? Church shopping and church hopping. That some of us want a church that their music is too loud, their music is too soft, but this church is just right. This pastor's dynamic, this pastor's too academic, but this pastor's all right. I think one of the things I love about this passage is realizing that when it comes to our worship, it's not about us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our likes or dislikes. It's about giving focus to the one who is sovereign, who's in control, that while the world rages, he stands in peace and comfort. He already knows what's coming. We all know that through the sacrifice of Jesus, he has paid the ultimate price. And in the end, the love of Jesus wins the day. But the other thing that concerns me, though, is sometimes when churches get together, there's two things that happen. Either they, they get in a group that they just love and they've been together since the turn of time, you know. They've, they're just not going to give up on each other. They're just, they mean so much to each other. And I, I, if you're in a group like that, you've been given a great gift. But the other phenomenon in our world today is that maybe a lot of us tend to go and we be a part of a group that's just, well, they're from that church, they're from that church, they're from that church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a couple things real quick. The longer I'm a part of the American church, the more I realize that music and groups and ministry is like a radio dial or a radio state. We, we pick what we want. And we're building a church that is all about our convenience. This person doesn't like me. I don't like them. I don't have to be around them. Well, I'm just going to tell you, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. Love those who are against you. Oh, but Danny, I, don't, you know, I won't make you. I'm just going to tell you, this is who Jesus is. One of the things that keeps happening, and, and I am so thankful for the greater picture of the kingdom because it has no boundaries. It, it is global in its movement, and it, it has no bounds. But one of the challenges that we've had as a church has shown up in a couple of different ways. One is, like last week, over 21 first-time people came to church here. And if every one of them came to church and said, I want to be a part of a group, and that happened 52 times a year. Now, I know that's, that'd be a miracle if it did. But if over 1,000 people over a year came to our church and said, I need a group, we wouldn't be prepared to host them. And you know why? Because as Christ followers, we hear, I love my group. We've been together for a long time and I, I don't want to give up on them. Or I'm, I'm in a group with other churches and I really like them and we really grow and really... And here's what, our, here's what our elders have said. We must be the church that's about the one who's not connected. Because as we say, see the changing landscape of the world from going from Christian to post-Christian, to anti-Christian. The reality of the world is changing is because the church is not multiplying. It's not stepping out. 
And so let me illustrate it to you this way. I am all for the kingdom. I'm all for friends. I'm all for people. I, I love people to be connected with God. But we have to become the people that realize that as shepherds, as leaders, as servants, we have one church that we must steward. You hearing what I'm saying? Let me illustrate it to you this way. Christy and I have a decent family. I like our boys. I'll keep them another day, right? You know? But Christy and I decide that, uh, we've decided that we're responsible for our children. I don't know if you think that about your children, but I'm responsible for my children. And so what I do with my children is this, and you don't have to do this, but for illustration's sake, just think about this. I don't necessarily go to my boys and say, Caden and Brody, hey, your rooms are upstairs. I want you to know you can sleep there tonight, take a shower when you need to, uh, and you can call this home. But tomorrow morning, I need you to go down the hallway, and I need you to go out the door. I need you to go down the street, and I need you to go eat at the Pianfettis. The Pianfettis are in charge of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And when you get off the bus for school, don't come home and don't go to the Pianfettis. But can you go over to this house? Because that's where we're going to have you uh, do your homework, and we're going to have you figure out what you need to do for your day, and that family's going to get you to your job. Do you know why the Pianfettis are not in charge of feeding my children? And my other neighbors are not in charge of getting my kids to work or doing their homework? Because I'm held responsible before God to care for my parents. But my, yeah, my parents too. That's a whole other seminary. Mom will be like, thank goodness. I was afraid he wasn't thinking about that. Here's what happens. When church people prioritize other church people at other churches to hang out with and that be their priority group, do you know who doesn't get to connect there? Anybody who's new and says, hey, I need a group. When church groups stay together that have been together for years and they don't multiply and expand and start new groups, you know what happens? You know who gets left out? People who say, I need a group. I'd like, to continue, I'd like to connect with one. Can I tell you, friends? I think we're at least three years straight of running where we have more people that want to get in groups than groups will take. And that's our fault. And so our elders and our staff have said, you know what, no more. We have got to be a disciple-making church we have got to take care of the family that God has given us. It is clear that God has not stopped bringing people to our doors. It is clear that God has not stopped asking us to mature and to grow and to grow other people. So the question for some of us maybe today isn't, hey, are you going to stay in your group? But will you have the boldness to look at your huddle and say, you know what? You lead this ministry and you've been a part of that ministry and you've done this. and You, you know what? We have five couples here that could all launch their own community group. How do we spend the next six weeks preparing all of us to launch new groups? And what if those five groups all took in five couples? Well, that would, that could be pretty exciting. Guys, it's nice to have a full room. It is. It's great to have everybody back to school. But I think God tends to count circles more than he does rows. And I think he tends to recognize 
Christ followers who are young and old who say, I, I need God and I need you. I think God tends to encourage and fan into flame those, those times when we get together and we pour ourselves out in front of each other and we say, I'm not here to be liked. I'm not here to be like you. Can you help me grow and become like Jesus? Are you in a group? Do you need to lead a group? Do you need to become an apprentice? Daniel's going to be at the cross during this time as we get ready to move, and I want to encourage you. If you've got a group that needs to launch another group, I'd, I'd like you to join him and just say, how do, how do we figure out how to launch a new group? If you're a person that's not in a group but has been a part of a group in the past and you want to learn how to begin to prepare for a group, we'll help you be an apprentice. Go, go talk to Daniel. But if you want to get in a group because you're not in a group, either open your phone and get online and sign up or put a connection card in one of the response boxes, the giving boxes that we use. But in this time today, don't let the value of growing with others stay on the shelf. Don't allow your criticism and critical nature to discount all the people that you don't like. Don't let it be the thing that calluses your heart and stagnates your walk with God. Don't let the comfort and the isolation isolation of just staying with friends become the, the blockade that keeps other Christ followers from finding the community that could truly transform them. As we normally do, we're going to respond in our time of worship. Some will come to pray. Some will come to take communion where they'll eat the bread and they'll drink the juice. They'll be reminded of Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed. Many of us will respond in giving our tithes and offerings. But however we respond today, in the midst of everything that we do in this time of singing and the movement that happens in this room, may we be willing to admit if God has offended us today, if God has agitated our walk, if God has made it uncomfortable for us, that all that means is that God is standing and he's ringing your doorbell. And he's not gonna stop until the battery wears out or you answer the door. Let's answer the door today. Let's stand and sing.